Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ congregation, it's beautiful and noteworthy that the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in the flesh, in this world, is accompanied by songs of thanksgiving. If you do a quick count, it will show you that there are at least five songs surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ. For starters, in Luke 1 verse 42, we find the song of Elizabeth. It has received an official name in the church. It's called the Song of Love. Then there is the Song of Mary from Luke 1, verse 46 on. That is called officially the Magnificat, which is Latin for making great. My soul makes great the name of the Lord. The opening line is identified there. Then there's the song of Zechariah, the portion that we're looking at in part. That is called the Benedictus, and that is Latin for saying good or blessing. So blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, the opening line again. Then there is after that the song of the angels, Luke 2, verse 14. That is called the Gloria in Excelsis Deo. And finally, we find the song of Simeon, Luke 2, verse 29 and following, which focuses on, now send your servant away, Nunc Dimittis, that's the Latin name for that song. So there's five songs that surround the arrival of Jesus in the flesh. Interesting thing is that Matthew doesn't record it, Mark doesn't record it, John doesn't record it. Only Luke. Luke makes a particular point of that. Now, why would he do that? Well, Luke found it necessary that his audience realized what happens when the Lord Jesus comes into the world, because he wrote to the Gentiles. Theophilus represents the Gentiles. And he wants to make the point that the work of God brings out the praises in the people of God. And so we find those five songs at the beginning of the gospel, songs of praise. But here's an interesting thing for you to consider. It's not only at the start, but also at the conclusion of this gospel that we hear about songs of praise for the work of God. When the Lord Jesus ascends into heaven, in Luke 24 we read that the disciples worshipped and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple doing what Zechariah did, namely blessing God, speaking good about God, meaning praising God. They broke out in song as well. So the Lord Jesus Christ, in His coming into the world, makes people break out in songs of praise. And that leads to continuous praise. Hence we're here, praising God, worship. So Luke intended to teach the Gentiles what brings about those songs of praise. Now this morning we focus on the song of Zechariah, part of it. The song of Zechariah is well known because there are these 
major themes in it. Darkness and light, the horn of salvation, the sunrise. And these themes show up in many hymns that we know. And they refer to many psalms of the Old Testament. In fact, what Zechariah is doing is pulling all the Old Testament strings together. Now, we focus on the second part, because that speaks chronologically about what happened first, namely the coming of John. I intend to preach about the first part, the day, the Sunday before Christmas, where it really speaks about the Lord Jesus. So, in order of appearance, first you look at the second part, and then we hear that John is the child about whom the angel Gabriel has said many things. We read that. And we have come to realize that it stumped Zechariah. In fact, more than that, he was struck with silence. And in that time of silence, he gets ample time to consider all the things the angel had said. During that silence, God has, as it were, one-on-one time with him. And so Zechariah discovers that God is faithful to the words that he has spoken through so many prophets, and that gave him hope. And as we take note of that, it gives us hope. So look at this. A silent priest becomes a singing priest. Now, what makes him so excited? I'm going to preach to you. The theme of the sermon is the silent priest becomes a singing priest, blessing the God of Israel. So the silent priest becomes a singing priest, blessing the God of Israel. We consider what will move the last Old Testament prophet. We consider what moves the Most High God and what moves the darkness dwellers. My brother and sister, we began the reading in the story of Zechariah, the blameless priest, standing at the altar of incense and being visited by the angel Gabriel. Striking picture. It's been a very long wait for Zechariah to finally be called to the temple to offer up incense and so prayers to God. He is symbolic for the people, having waited. And the burning of incense symbolizing the prayers of the saints. It seems to be saying what we hear in Psalm 130. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits for Him. And in His word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. More than watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with Him there is plenteous redemption. And He will redeem His people from all His iniquities. You see it coming together. Zechariah, who also had been waiting for the Lord. And if nothing else, everything in the temple spoke of the same thing. And it raised the expectations, but also the frustrations. 
And so these words that I just quoted could well have been on the lips of Zechariah and of the people. They were waiting because it had been long since the last prophet had spoken the word of God. And the interesting thing is that the angel Gabriel connects with that. When he speaks to Zechariah, he doesn't come out of nowhere, but he connects with the last prophet that they heard speak, namely Malachi, chapter 4, verse 6. There the words are, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the judge, just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So the angel connects with the hope and the expectation that was raised by that prophet of the Old Testament, the last one they had heard more than 400 years ago. That word of Malachi is the last word God spoke through the prophets. But now angel Gabriel comes and he connects with that. 400 years. The voice of prophecy was silenced. It was like in the days of Samuel that no one had stepped up and spoke the words of God. It says in that setting, the word of the Lord was scarce in those days. That's the situation of Zechariah. So it's not too surprising that Zechariah says, it won't happen. Because he cannot figure out how Malachi could speak about the son of righteousness that shall rise with healing in its wings. Zechariah did not see that last prophet as announced by Malachi coming from the sons of man. And that's why he has that question. How shall I know this? Instead of a way prepared, all the roads seem to be dead-end roads. Zechariah doesn't see it. And that's why he gets that time to think about that. For nine months, the full duration of that pregnancy, that miraculous pregnancy, he has to consider what the angel said, what the meaning is of the angel connecting with the Old Testament and so with the prophecies of the Old Testament. Because the initial reaction of Zechariah showed a lack of understanding. Doubt. But then after the Lord has silenced him, had one-on-one -on -one time with him, with no interference or busy questions of Zechariah, everything is shown to be true. After so many prayers were sent up to God, Zechariah, guided by the Spirit, discovers the answer God is giving to His people. They were very ready, but then the Lord has the perfect answer. Now, leaving for later what He says in the first part of the song, we look at what the meditation did for Zechariah. A silent priest becomes a singing priest. But there's another transition, a more important one. He goes from being a priest to becoming a prophet. Interesting shifts. 
from priest to prophet. He goes from being a visual instructor, pointing at what the people have to be ready for when it appears. Now he can comment on what is appearing. So it's rather than symbolizing and visualizing, he can talk about the reality that God is creating in their midst. And so that little baby boy will be in line with all these prophets of the Old Testament. He'll truly be the last prophet of the Old Testament dispensation. Well, there's something different, because he will be the one that will prepare the way for the one who comes after him. John will be the one who concludes that whole lineup of prophets of the Old Testament. Because Zechariah says that he will be the, the prophet of the Most High. He's not calling him like a prophet of, of old. A little twist in the labeling. He's the prophet of the Most High. And that name for God has already been referred to before. When Mary heard about God coming to earth to make her conceive through the Spirit, the power of the Most High will overshadow her. Now, Zechariah had enough time to figure it out. The words, namely, which the angel had been referring to began to make perfect sense. And so, as a prophet, he's called by the Lord to present the words of God to his people, to be a mouthpiece for God, to present what God really wants to say to his people. Zechariah has come to understand the prophecies of Isaiah 40. I'll quote, and you'll see how striking. There it says, A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain will be made low, and even ground shall be made level. And the rough place is a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. Zechariah figured it out. This is what's happening. And guess what? John later on ends up coming out of the wilderness. The prophecy unfolds in the reality of their lives. And so Zechariah describes Having thought about all these prophecies, he describes how the prophet will prepare the way for the Lord, coming out of the wilderness, the wilderness of life, you might say, and he will be a herald. In the olden days, a herald would announce the arrival of a king, and he would say something like, lift up your heads, O ancient gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. And then the question of the people would be, who is this King of Glory? And then Herald would say, the Lord of hosts, He is the King of Glory. Maybe you notice, I quoted from Psalm 24. So the call for the gates to be lifted comes from the heralds, the one who prepares the way. A herald is like an advance team, making everything ready for an high official to arrive in town. And so Zechariah, speaking about his baby boy in his way, showed that he understood how God wants his people to
to prepare for the revealing of His glory in the King of glory. We hear about knowledge of salvation. We hear about the forgiveness of sins. That's the content of the herald's message, speaking about the arrival of a king. So it's not about roads and it's not about gates. It's about sin and repentance. That's how you prepare for this one. And in that way, you see the connection with Malachi, who spoke about preparing a people for the Lord to lead them on the path of God's law. So Zechariah began to speak to his baby boy, and it must have been that parental instruction. Because when the day comes, when John is grown up, he comes out of the wilderness. And he, he's exactly the point where Israel was when they were led out of the wilderness into the promised land at the Jordan. But what does he preach there? Preparing for the Messiah. He says, and I quote, this is Luke 3. He says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And so he proclaimed a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That is how you prepare for the King of glory. So what John did in the days leading up to the public ministry of the King of glory is preparing a way by speaking about repentance for the forgiveness of all our sins. That drove him. Because that's the message of the prophecy of the Old Testament. And that came to a conclusion because the King is coming. Repentance and forgiveness opens the way to the holiness and the glory of the coming King. And that is the pressure that was building up in the Old Testament. And that drove also the last prophet of the Old Testament. That's why angel Gabriel connected with those prophecies and said, here it is. This is the day. And in that regard, my brother and sister, nothing has changed. Because we are still expecting the King of glory. And we are also supposed to get ready. And that requires daily repentance for the forgiveness of all our sins. Let's not think that we're looking at a piece of history with Zechariah and his son and the baby boy and all these wonderful things. It's not done and over with. Because God is not done yet. He's working on us. There's still more to come. And the King of glory who came will come again. And so there is still the call to prepare the way for the King of glory to come in into your life. My brother and sister Zechariah had time to think nine months leading up to this that the glory of the coming King would drive the prophet. He still cradles him in his arm as a baby boy. But there is no Gucci Gucci baby talk. There's prophecy. The history of God's people shows that salvation comes to God's people not because of any merit on their own side, but solely from God. And the last prophet of the Old Testament is not doing his own work, but he's also doing God's work. 
That's why Zechariah speaks about the tender mercies of our God. That moves the Most High, the tender mercies. You've heard the expression, and I'm sure that having heard it so much, the fine details are fading. If nothing else, translations help us getting rid of some of the original nuances. So I'm going to highlight a few of that because I want you to understand what's going on here. It's a typical Old Testament expression. I'll do my best translating it as original as possible. We say because of the tender mercies of God. Well, actually it says because of the bowels of the mercy of God. That sounds strange in our ears. We don't talk like that. But the meaning is clear. You know, sometimes when you, when you, when you assess a situation, you, say, you, can, you can say, my, my head tells me one thing and my heart tells me another thing. But then you say sometimes another thing. You might say, in my gut, I know this or that. Now, that's what we're talking about. We go below the heart to the bowels. What is deep down underneath a person's heart. If you want to go deeper than the heart, you go to the intestines. And deeper than that, you cannot go. So we say, I feel it in my gut. And that's kind of what it says here in the Hebrew, in, in the original words. And so we get this thing of below the heart of God. As deep as you can go in God, you find the mercy of God. So the salvation of God's people stems from the very deepest working and movement in God. People like us, we do not understand that language per se. But the Old Testament people understood it. It was common in their worship to use these words. And so Paul uses it. Old Testament scholar himself, Romans 12, he talks about the tender mercies of our God in Romans 12. I appeal to you by the mercies of God to offer yourself as a living sacrifice. That's the quote. In other words, it is because of what's going on deep down in God. Thus, there is salvation for you and me. And that makes it even clearer when we consider the second part of verse 78. The words are, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. I love that expression. Sunrise. What do you think about? Well, originally it means something that goes up, like literally. And so you get words like day spring, morning star. Even when I think about, where is it, the east, the orient. Those are all descriptions of the same thing. That which goes up from the ground. You could even find it in some text that it means a root or a branch, like what is there, and it goes up. Jeremiah 23 and Zechariah 6. Now, Zechariah wasn't thinking about Jeremiah or the prophet Zechariah of the Old Testament, but of Malachi 4. And I quoted that earlier. Do you remember? 4 verse 2. I'm not going to do a catechism test. I'll tell you what it says. The sun of righteousness shall rise. 
Okay, now what is going on here? It gets really interesting because that's how we know the sun to work. It rises from the horizon. It's just like Malachi said. But that's not what Zechariah says. He quotes, but he modifies. With all that nine months to think about what God had said, Zechariah concluded that his silence in the 400 years of the word of the Lord being scarce, there had to be another answer that the sun would rise from the horizon. Reading the prophecies of Malachi and that silence after, one would be left with the impression, and correctly so, that what you would expect that the sun would rise from the horizon didn't happen. And somehow, somewhere, some way, it indicates that salvation would come from the earth. Now, Zechariah himself earlier on thought, it's got to happen on earth, and it's not happening. How can that be, he said. And so he was puzzled by the words of the angel Gabriel. But then he comes to realize, my brother and sister, that this sun will not rise from the earth, but it comes from heaven. Because on earth there is nothing that will produce light. There is only darkness and the shadow of death. But God presented himself as the God of light, as he did in the beginning. How did all things of life start? When he said, let there be light. And there was no sun or moon because he was the light. And in the end, he says, no sun and moon is needed anymore because I will be your light. And so in the middle of the history, at the perfect time, he says, I will bring that light once again. And so the Lord had said in the Old Testament prophecies, arise, let your light shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. It even says, and I'll quote further, because it gets stronger and stronger. It says, The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor the brightness of the moon shall be your light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light. Isaiah 60. Do you see the lines connecting? In the beginning, in the end, God says, I'll be it. In the middle of time, He says, I will be it, and that will be your light. And so we read in Psalm 84, The Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. And that is why Zechariah tweaked the quote from Malachi and spoke about the sunrise not coming from the horizon, but from on high. This does not match the natural human way as the sun comes from below from the horizon. But this sun, this light, this life does not come from below. It doesn't come from the human realm. But it comes from on high. It comes from heaven. And that is the glorious discovery which Zechariah made when he thought about the words of Gabriel for nine months. Even though John, his son, would call for repentance, salvation only comes from God. It doesn't come from anywhere 
but from heaven's palace itself. That's why we find that the sunrise comes in that supernatural way from on high. Zechariah had served in the sanctuary where he had seen the lampstand with a light on it, but now it dawned on him, no pun intended, that the light that will make all the difference is the light which visits us from on high. If the light would not come from on high, it would have remained dark on earth. And that's why there is that jubilant tone in the song of Zechariah. It had been dark for so many centuries. And so we come to the third point of the sermon. As the last prophet of the Old Testament is moving into place because of the coming king, the coming king is moved by the tender mercies of God. But that then in turn gets things moving on earth. It says to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. Again, as we consider the primary audience, Luke wrote for we see that the gospel is presented in all its glory. For considering that Zechariah worked in the temple, there was that constant light. But it, it, it symbolizes something. In the midst of God's people, there was a place where there was always light. There was a sense that God was the sun and light for His people. Think of the audience. The further you go out to the ends of the earth, the farther you're removed from the light, the darker it is. The Lord God understood that. That's why He let Balaam speak about a star shall come out of Jacob, Numbers 24. A Gentile prophet had to speak to Gentiles about what would happen in Israel, that a light would appear. That's why we hear in Isaiah 9 what we sang in that famous chapter about the child to be born, that the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. Now, Zechariah refers to that. Of course, all the sons of mankind live in darkness because of sin, but the farther you are removed from the sanctuary, the darker it gets. So in these few words, the singing priest gives us a summary of what we find throughout the prophecies of the Old Testament, namely that there was hope and expectation stirred by God Himself, even among those who are far out, the coastlands. In Isaiah 42, the Savior is presented then by the Creator of heaven and earth, and then it says, the coastlands wait for His law. And then the conclusion is this, sing to the Lord a new song, His praise to the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastlands and their inhabitants, the coastlands have to praise. Luke organizes the gospel in that way. 
And so we find the songs in the Gospel of Luke. We find them in the midst of God's people. Psalm 72, Psalm 97. The Lord reigns the earth and rejoices. The coastlands shall be glad. Well, that joy is expressed by Zechariah. And he speaks about light in the darkness and in the shadow of death. Now let's realize one thing. And that's this. Light speaks about God's holiness. So darkness speaks about sin. So those who sit in darkness are not like poor sods that are hunkering down like unfortunate, undocumented foreigners. No. Those who sit in darkness are in the shadow of death. And we must see that for what it is. Because in the prophecies of Joel, chapter 2, we read also about darkness and gloom. And then it's what accompanies the day of judgment. We find it throughout the Bible. Darkness speaks about sin and about judgment over sin. And therefore those who sit in darkness are not poor sods. But they're like the criminals who are on death row and who know that just before the crack of dawn they will be executed. That's who we are. That's the condition of mankind. And none of the sacrifices brought in the temple where Zechariah served as well could ever change that. That is why this is such a glorious message for those who are on death row, knowing that there's no more light left for them because they're going to be executed before the crack of dawn. They're waiting to be executed. And then they hear that there will be another great day. It is a new day for those who repent because the sun rose from on high. It is a new day because the tender mercy of God moved him to bring salvation from heaven to this earth. It is a new day because salvation will come. It is a new day. And that is why the feet of the prisoners must be guided in the way of peace. That is what the prophet of the Old Testament, the last one, will speak about. And that is what the singing priest expresses. That there's hope for the coastlands so that they may be glad as well. It's a message of joy. But it is a serious message. And it has lost nothing of its impact. For the one who came to let the light of God shine in this world went on high again. And he will come again. To judge the living and the dead and to bring light to this world at his second coming. And as far as that is concerned, the message has lost nothing of its impact. Because there are still those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death who need to be walking in the way of peace. There is still the expectation That because of the tender mercy of our God, the sunrise will visit us from on high.
And so I say to you and to all, behold, He comes again to judge the living and the dead. Blessed are those who have the knowledge of salvation in the forgiveness of their sins because of the light of the world. Blessed are all those who already walk in the way of peace by the light of the word. Amen.